our life objectives are so similar. We like challenges. You know, we actually have quite a lot of fun at the same time when we're doing this stuff. And we can be really hard on each other. It's not that we're giving each other an easy ride. The misconception is that emotions run the business. There was a huge stigma of being a couple and being ambitious with business. It's one of the first things we tell people. I think people then see us as a single entity. We kind of have a natural divide of resources and share the shit and, you know, the dogs get walked and somehow it works. We would definitely start another business of some description I together. I just find it far easier working with someone that yeah. you live with. I'm Trisha Bacon and this is Between the Spreadsheets, a series of conversations with inspirational couples who combine love and work to run a business together. I'm the founder of Couplepreneurs, a growing global community of couples in love and in business. And with millions of them across the globe, this is definitely a thing. So as we bust open the myths that exist around being a couplepreneur, we'll be finding out what it's really like and just how they juggle work, life, love and everything in between. I sort of said, well look, why did you start doing it in the first place? And you said, well I want to change the world for allergy sufferers. So I said, well have you done that yet? She said, no. Thought, well we've still got to go then, don't we? But then it was coming up with a strategy that what could we do without investment? In this episode, we meet Julianne Ponan and Matt Ford from Creative Nature Superfoods, a free-from brand making snack bars, baking mixes and superfoods that cater for the top 14 allergens. Julianne was inspired to create the business as she's an anaphylaxic sufferer, meaning she's allergic to all nuts, some seeds and certain additives too. Unable to find any sort of healthy snack that wasn't going to cause her to stop breathing was a challenge, so she set about making her own. And she brought in her partner, Matt Ford, and in the subsequent seven years, Julianne and Matt have gone on to create an award-winning business. And through their recent fundraise, they have ambitious plans to scale further with their expanding team. So welcome Julianne and Matt to Between the Spreadsheets. I'm gonna take you back to when you first met. What was it that kind of attracted you to one another? We were working in Waitrose yeah. together. Julianne was on the tills. She was a checkout girl and I was a trolley boy. And every time I brought the trolleys down from the car park, which was up at the top level, I was come down in the lift and there would be Julianne waiting on her till when I opened up the doors. So I'd always have a cheeky smile. And it just sort of started from there. Yeah, I mean... I probably was the opposite. I didn't really want to go out with Matt at the beginning. I think he asked... About four times? Yeah, numerous times. But no, he was quite persistent. I think what attracted me to Matt was he always managed to get his work done in less time than everybody else. Um, Even when I seemed like I was doing no work? Yes, exactly. And he'd always make me laugh. And someone that can make you laugh... Even when you're feeling really bad, that's the person that you want by your side, someone that can lift you up and keep you positive. And that's been true from the time before we even started the business. But we would always be there for each other, and that was on a friendship basis before we actually even started dating. And how old are you at this point when you sort of meet and you're friends and then you get together? So you were 16, 16. I was... 
18. And that was when we were friends at Waitrose. And then we both went to separate unis, but carried on talking and everything. I even came back for your 18th birthday party. He came all the way back from university to go to my boat party for my 18th, which was fantastic. But what was even more interesting was I was actually supposed to go to his university. So I had actually applied to go there, but didn't in the end. You chose a different course in the end. So. Yeah. Yeah. I went with the business head instead of the dance, which I was going to do. So this was 16 and 18. Gosh, so a long time ago. A long, long time ago. And just tell me when you set up the business or when the business kind of was formed. Yeah, so I took over in 2012. Uh, the business itself was around, but it was doing things like candles and incense and statues and lots of different foods as well. Um, and they were selling at small festivals. Uh, I came back and I actually did some due diligence in the business. I looked at the books and was offered to do a management buyout, which at the time was absolutely crazy to do. Looking back, maybe I shouldn't have done that. It was a big risk to take, but I saw potential to change the brand completely uh, into a free-from brand, which is what it is now. Um, and I brought Matt in four to six months later. And tell us about that. Was that a seminal moment? How did that come about in terms of Matt coming into the business? So I was a teacher. I was a primary school teacher teaching year five, and that was going fine. But then Julianne needed my help at the business on quite a few occasions because not only did she take over a business that was in over £56,000 losses, but she also got pneumonia in the first year, so was in and out of hospital. And so during that time, obviously when she was in hospital, I would have to come in and do work in the business whilst also having a teaching job. And the teaching job was about 45, 50 minute drive away. So it was very difficult for me to do that all day and then come back and have to work at night as well. And then I felt that I wasn't really giving the kids attention and care that they would need it wasn't fair on them to to neglect them in that way and Julianne asked me to come and then work full-time with her. So were you coming in to do a particular role then Matt? Originally it was coming in and sending out orders and things there were internet orders and at that time product was getting packed in the small warehouse so I'd have to come in and pack the product by hand so get powders from a large bag into smaller tubs which very, very quickly, Julianne realised wasn't the right way to do the business. She uh, outsourced all of the manufacturing to uh, BRC A standard facilities so we could ensure that the product was safe for the customers. So you came in to fulfil those orders. Yeah. And how have the roles developed? Are there clear kind of delineations in what you do? Tell us more about the split of roles. In terms of that, I always took on the more financial roles and I actually did the finances from hospital as well. I couldn't outsource it. I couldn't afford to outsource it, to be completely honest. I'm sure other couplepreneurs have that situation where they wear all the hats in their business because they physically can't let go because they feel they don't have the budget to do it. Also, they don't know if that person can actually do it the way they want them to do it. So how we delegated the roles was Matt came in at the beginning to pack orders, so he's always been the more operational role. He still is. Even though we've outsourced a lot of our manufacturing, he deals with 
all the warehouses that we currently have. Um, and he has someone under him who also deals with that too. In terms of sales, we did have Matt on sales for a tiny amount mm-hmm. of time. Yeah, we managed for a time, didn't, didn't we? Work. No. I had what, to go back did, down into the dungeons. What didn't work out, Matt? I'm not very organised, let's say that. So mm-hmm. um, I'm very good at calling people and getting contacts and sort of getting an order in. That's great. When it's time for following up that and nurturing that lead, mm-hmm. uh, useless, absolutely mm-hmm. useless. But interesting that you tried that. There were certain things where you knew where your skill set was, mm, but other things where you needed the sales function and you thought, well, let's kind of give it a go. Yeah, so, why not give it so a go? So why not? Because sometimes, you know, you don't know if you've never done that before. Why, no. How do you know? And exactly. when we set out in our careers, we don't necessarily know what we're going to do. Do We don't know. We might love something, but yeah. we might not be brilliant at it. So I, well, I, think, well, I, think that's, I think that's a great way of kind of testing and trialing different things. I think we've taken all the good bit about me in sales and have followed that through and just left me not actually managing any accounts. So you're a brilliant hunter, but you're not a farmer. farmer. Don't let Matt farm. He's very good at building spreadsheets. He says he builds them for the stock system, but it's actually what helps the finance function. In the actual spending of money, then then the company would not be Budgeting he does not do. That's Mm. where Julianne's skills really come in with finance, because she was doing it all her life. I mean, she used to help out her dad because uh, he's an entrepreneur as well himself. So mm. I, I don't touch that side at all. Mm. But I think that's what's great about being a carpentry because if you employ people, it's very hard to get them to do more than one role because the job description states this is the role they're doing. It's very hard to go, okay, why don't you try sales or why don't you try marketing? Whereas together, you can just say to each other, oh, do you mind picking up some of the sales today? And it allows you to explore other avenues before getting someone in that role. Yeah, the exploration of other avenues is good, isn't it? Yeah. You can really enjoy something you didn't think you would enjoy. Mm. And then if you enjoy something, you're probably more likely to put more effort into it. And then you, you could really flourish in that area. Absolutely. You know, one of the myths that exists around being a couple entrepreneur is, you know, how do people do it? You know, how do they switch off? How do they get that balance? So... Is there an on and off switch? Is there a balance? You're not very good at switching off, are you? You, uh, no, no. you keep working all the time. I can switch off certain parts of work, but my creative brain is always, always working. I might wake Julianne up in the middle of the night and go, oh, I've got this great advert idea. You've got to listen to it and then I'll write it down and then I'll... And then she's sort of like, no, I've finally got to sleep. I've been working till three <laughs> o'clock. Can you leave me alone? And then so... It's very difficult to switch off completely, isn't it? I think the holidays is probably the hardest. For me, I don't switch off on holiday, whereas Matt can physically shut a laptop, whereas I just cannot. There isn't an off switch for that. Every day she's speaking to the the team back in the office. But clearly you're taking holidays. We have done. Yeah, now for the first few years we, we didn't. But then that was just because it was you and me, wasn't it? So, so we're, so we're in year eight, are we now? Isn't year it? seven. Year seven. Year seven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when were you able to actually both leave and fly off somewhere and take a holiday and step two out? Years, wasn't it? Yeah, about two and a half. Yeah. yeah. About two and a half years in. Yeah, or two. But we didn't. We didn't even have weekend breaks, did we? No. So that's why when when we had that two weeks off, we took two weeks off and went to Jamaica. As soon as we came back, we smashed it. 
like we came in and we did loads and loads of work. And we doubled turnover that year. And we hadn't realised that by not taking a holiday, we were just draining ourselves of all energy and work was suffering, yet we were working harder than we had ever worked to try and get forward. And all we needed to do was take a break, recuperate, recharge, and then come back and have a fresh mindset. Obviously, you've, you know, you met and... You became friends, you went off to university, you came out, you set up the business, Julianne, and then, you know, within kind of months, you were in the business. Mm-hmm. Matt, what's been the biggest learning about each other on that journey? Given that you're still both very young, are we allowed to say how old you are? Yeah. 13. The big 3-0. Have you gone through the big 3-0? Yeah. I've just gone through. April. The... Okay. And okay. I'm 32. So so what's been the biggest learning? The biggest learning, I would say, is it's about learning how to lead because both Matt and me have very different roles. There always has to be a leader in the business, whether you're a couplepreneur or not. And when you lead, people need to be able to follow you and they need to be able to trust you. So not only... Do I have a role in the business, but I also have to lead the team? And so to do that, I need to know from Matt how the team are doing as a whole, because they will not turn to Matt as a leader, whereas they will look to me as a leader. Um, And I think that's been probably the biggest thing I've learned, that you can never really know what people are thinking. And have you ever been viewed in any way differently do you think sort of externally because you are a couplepreneur yeah when we first looked at investing wasn't it yeah definitely and and I think there was a huge stigma of being a couple going after and being ambitious with business I think there still is to a certain extent it's slowly becoming more known to be a couplepreneur mm-hmm. at the beginning we didn't even say we were no. uh, partners and that was my choice because I wanted to go after bigger business I also used to use Matt as the owner I used to sometimes say that he shows, was yeah. a lot of the time because people would never ever think I was the owner some even pointed and laughed in what sense tell us more about that Julianne uh, just the fact that for example at trade fairs you have a lot of big corporations come to do business with businesses and they would say, can I speak to the owner? And I would say, yes, I'm the CEO or I'm the owner. And they would just laugh. And they said, no, no, really, seriously, I need to speak to the owner. And I would come back with, well, I am the owner. And they were like, oh, well, he looks like the owner. I'll just go and speak to him. Gosh, okay. It knocks your confidence, especially when it's said over and over again. You end up going... Am I the owner? You question yourself. And that's something that really shouldn't be happening so early on in the business journey. But having the support of your partner enables you to overcome that. And I think that's what helped me carry on leading and carry on going. You've mentioned before you went out to seek funding. And tell us more about initially what happened in, which was how many years into the business? That was was around 2014. Yeah, I mean, what happened was my financial forecasts were laughed at. 
yes, they were optimistic, I do agree. But when you are optimistic about your business and you do believe in it, they are going to be like that. And that's what we said, we were going to get into one of the major retailers. And one of the investors said, just laughed at the financial forecast, called me a little girl and said I'd never launch into a supermarket with two people. How did that affect you or what what did that leave with you? It did affect me a lot at that point and I did actually want to throw the towel in and give up. I sort of said, oh, actually, maybe I do just want to go back to a corporate job. And Matt said, why did you start this in the first place? He was probably saying, basically, you got me to quit my job. Yeah. And promised me that we were going to make... It's a waste of time. I sort of said, well, look, why did you start doing it in the first place? And he said, well, I want to change the world for allergy sufferers. So I said, well, have you done that yet? She said, no. Well, we've still got to go then, don't we? But then it was coming up with a strategy that what could we do without investment? Um, how could we bootstrap this and get it to the next level? And we worked out a way to do it, and we did launch into a supermarket. And that same investor came back and actually wanted to get more involved and buy the company. And we said no. Mm. So tables turn, but it took a hell of a lot to get to that point. Mm. Uh, it was in the space of only around six months, Half wasn't year, it? Yeah. But those six months felt like five years because it was Well, then the launch at the end was a nightmare because we weren't obviously scaled enough. But again, that's because we're a couple preneur. We got each of our families in to help us. Yeah, so we had loads of people working on it at the same time time we had boxes taken to houses just to make sure things were over labeled and everything worked amazing and when was that end of 2014 end of 2014 i was just interested in you know what you've just been talking about that at that point you know that you almost wanted to sort of jack it all in but then you came back and you've raised funds haven't you through a crowdfunding platform and you know that's enabling you to grow now so how scary was that then embarking on Mm -hmm. going back into creating a marketing campaign on the platform and having to press the button to go tell us how that was I think if you asked me back then how it was I would have said it was the hardest thing I've ever done But then now, looking back, it wasn't the hardest thing I've ever done because I'm facing new challenges now. So to the people that are going through it right now in terms of crowdfunding, there will be harder challenges and you will get through it. And I think that's the most important thing. Just take one step at a time. Get people around you that know what you're going through the couple from your network, people who have raised funds, they would be happy to share with you because it is difficult. If you're going on a crowdfunding platform, you're pressing a button and you're hoping that everyone that said they're going to invest will invest. And then you're hoping that the public will then carry your campaign and keep that momentum going. But you don't ever 100% know that these people will invest. It's sort of putting yourself out there and putting your business out there for everybody to see. You can have everything done. We did, I had a video done. I had a fantastic campaign written, financials done, checked by amazing people in the industry. 
but you can never be prepared in your mind how you're going to feel just before that campaign goes live and also throughout that journey with that campaign. Especially when it stutters. So we got to 98% funded and it stuttered a little bit and then Julianne was every five minutes she was refreshing the page. Has it been invested? Has it been invested? And she's going, Matt, Matt, we're not going to... What if we just stay here and we don't actually get funded and we've done all of this work and to get 2% away from the target? And then she managed to pull in a, uh, a very big fish that pushed us over the line. It's all about momentum, though. And like Matt said, when it did stutter, I was going crazy. And there's no entrepreneur like relief like because you are the entrepreneur and if you're at that two percent mark what can you do you physically cannot do anything apart from try and get more investors in Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what I did I think I called about a hundred and something people to try and put in investment to get it over the line okay so you you wanted this and it drove you to to call those people it wasn't like you sat back thinking is it going to happen oh, you clearly you were clearly that that was happening how overfunded were you in the end you got to we got to over 500,000 okay. and the target was 350,000 okay amazing so in terms of being a couplepreneur how challenging is it are there challenges well yeah there's always going to be challenges it's switching off so that you can have a conversation about something that isn't work is quite difficult because... But I think if you love your work, it doesn't feel as bad. No, but I think for, for some couples, because obviously if you're in a couple and one person going to one job and the other person going to the other job, you get home and you can talk about your different days. And for a couplepreneur, if you're talking about your day, you kind of know what happened because you were both there anyway, living it. So that takes out a whole range of conversation. You might end up sitting on the couch and not talking to each other because you've talked each other out during the day. But luckily, we don't have that problem. Yeah, I mean, people do ask us, do we ever get fed up of talking to each other? But I don't think... No, I've never had that with Matt. It's the type of couple you are. You have to be a specific type of couple to become a couple for you. So tell us more about that. What sort of specific couple do you need to be? Because that's that's interesting. A lot of the time we get people saying that I couldn't stand working with my partner for that long. Like, yeah, but if you love them and if you get on with them as friends as well as that, like, why wouldn't you want to spend all day with them? Then why are you with them in the first place? Yeah, exactly. But but we understand that, obviously, couplepreneur isn't for everyone. Mm -hmm. But I do think that being a couplepreneur, we don't actually talk to each other at work, though. Because you're busy working, aren't you? Yeah, that that was going to be one of my questions, like, you know, that very often, you know, when you've got two co-founders or two directors in a business, they're not sitting next to each other. No. They're not... Everybody's and out you doing... you see each other. Yeah, you... I think it starts like that, where yes. you're sitting next to each other and you see each other all day, every day. But as time goes on... Like, I'm in London yeah. three days a Meetings week. Meetings and everything. I'm everywhere. If we you don't... think about it in general terms, we probably see each other very similar amounts too. And then when you're in the office, you're on the phone to people or you're doing things you're not just sort of sitting there having a chat so I think Mm. I think people have that misconception that they're in a tiny little office and then they're just sitting Sitting next to each each other other. which isn't true 
But it might be if they're running maybe a shop and they're constantly in the shop together. If you had to look at an entrepreneur versus two co-founders versus a couplepreneur, can you imagine doing this with anybody else apart from one another in no. terms of running the business? 100% no. I wouldn't have even gone if it wasn't Julianne, so I just carried on being a teacher. If it was someone else's, I'd just you know, work as hard as I need to work and then go home and have a restful evening. But we work whatever hours are required, which is often all the hours under the sun. And for you, Julianne, can you imagine doing this with anybody other than Matt? I think if you had asked me before I started the business, I would have probably said yes, because I was always finance-minded, business-minded. I've always been that way. I probably would have set up another business, maybe not this one, but I might have done something else through my banking career. However, since running Creative Nature, I can't imagine running it with anyone other than that because we would have never got to where we are without both of us in the business. Because? Because of the dynamic between us both, our skill sets, I was never operational in that sense in terms of pulling pallets around the warehouse as well that was never me but I'm more sort of the strategic side of the business where the business is going but I think you need both sides and that's why co-founded businesses are quite lucky in that sense because they have each other as a sounding board whereas entrepreneurs on their own they don't have that and they need to pay people to become their sounding board. So co-founders, for example, one may actually, they really want to have more family time. And at that stage of the business, maybe the other co-founder doesn't want to do that. Whereas if you're a couple, it tends to be you're making those personal decisions together. I'd hope you'd both want the family time together. (laughs) Yeah, you probably would. So Mm -hmm. that way it enables you to tailor the business and get the right people on board at the right time to be able to let yourselves have that time. But then on the other side, co-founders would probably argue that at least one can take time off when the other can stay in the business. Mm -hmm. So there are pros and cons to both sides. The misconception is that emotions run the business when you're a couplepreneur and that, oh, because they're too emotionally involved, it's going to affect the business. But... By having that emotion and both wanting to strive so hard to make it work, I think we've worked harder than we would have done if we had both just been in business. Do you? That's interesting. Oh yeah, 100%. Even though I don't own any of the business, I'm 100% invested. I never asked for any of the business. I'd never put any money into the business. I never wanted that. All I'd wanted to do was work with and for Julianne. So you obviously bought the business, Julianne, and then Matt came in. So you've kind of, you've owned it, but you were just saying that you do now, as in you own some of the business now. Oh, only because I, when we crowdfunded, I put money in. But in terms of when we first set up, yeah, I put literally all the savings I had into the business. If you knew then what you know now, would you still have done it? Embarked on this couplepreneur journey and or would you have done anything different? The journey, probably, but we'd have done things a lot differently. Like, started your own business from scratch instead of taking on one that had so many issues involved with it. And then 
from the start doing what we're doing now? Yeah, I mean, I think that I've learned a lot along the journey. And without the issues, I wouldn't have learned. So in that sense, yes, I would want to do it again. But there are slight things I would have changed. If I could tell my younger self what to change and say, don't go and spend loads of money on PR without needing to create a network around you at an earlier stage. Don't worry about your friends not being your friends anymore. So there's lots of things that you can, in hindsight, you can want to change. But in reality, you can't. So it's all about what do you do to move forward and what do you do to get to the next stage. This is, again, sort of a theme that comes up around, you know, losing some friends and gaining new ones through networks or through building the business. And I think often people will say to me, when I told my family and friends I was doing this, they just looked at them like they were absolutely bonkers <laughs> because they've been going along in a certain journey and suddenly this feels very left field. Yeah, well, I went from having literally loads of friends, social calendar probably every day, going out, dinners, lunches, never missing a friend's birthday, never missing an engagement, all of that, to not seeing friends you're on a different playing field but yet when you speak to another entrepreneur or another couplepreneur they really get it and they're excited for you and with you and it's just so different you can I think it's Eric Ho that taught me it's your top 33% and you lose people as you go along the way and it's not that you don't like them it's just the fact that you've moved on to try and surround yourself with people that are smarter than you so that you can then learn from them. Always try and be the dumbest person in the room to learn from the smartest people and then you go up a level and you keep going. And in terms of resilience and mental strength, having gone through that in your kind of early 20s, which is when, you know, if you ask lots of people and they look back at their 20s, you know, they were out a lot. So... How did that sit with you in terms of your resilience and, and getting through that? Definitely have to have a thick skin. So that's why I think there isn't a whole thing about mental health for entrepreneurs. There's mental health for employees and people at school and university. But what about entrepreneurs? What about the stress that they take on from not only the employees but their life in general, like losing everyone around them. Some entrepreneurs don't have family that supports them. And as you said, people look at them weird and go, why have you left your corporate job that's paying you thousands and thousands and you've got a fantastic car and house? Why have you left that to do this? Yeah, if you're an employee, you can take time off mental health. That's fine. You just take days off but as an entrepreneur, what? as a couplepreneur. You can't because that's your business. So you can't just sort of go, oh yeah, I'm not coming in for a week, two weeks, three weeks. You can't mm. do that. I think we're learning a lot about yeah. mental health and how and how we manage it kind of with people that are coming into businesses as, as well as entrepreneurs and, and co-founders and couplepreneurs. Mm. So what does drive you to do this? Because there is clearly an enormous drive. There is resilience that is just 
you know, so tough and you're so robust and you've gone through a lot in the seven years, haven't you? What is it that drives you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? As Matt said earlier, with the whole, why did you start it in the first place? And it was to make the world a safer place, an easier place for people like me to eat. I'm sure a lot of people will know Natasha, who died recently on the airline from eating a sesame baguette, and the allergens weren't labelled. So having people like her parents really lobby for these laws to be put in place for allergens, this is going to help the industry. But then not only that, brands like ours will be able to lead that change and hopefully be able to make people's lives easier. It's all about making consumers' lives happier, easier, and finding a solution for them. That's one of the key parts of our business. And also, I think, once you see your product on shelf and you see someone buy it, it changes things. For example, just recently at the show, this boy I met with his mum, he came round and he said, oh, is this nut-free, is this gluten-free, dairy-free? I'm allergic to all these things. And I said, okay. And he's like, I just can't find anything in the market. And I said, yeah, yeah, it's all free from... His mum literally nearly broke down in tears. He then ate the bar. So he was walking around the show. He came all the way back just to say, thank you, you've inspired me to go into this industry and help with the change. To be able to reach people Mm. on that level drove me to go actually that's why that's why i'm doing this you're you're changing lives he was so happy to find someone that was young being able to change the industry and his mum said you've made it possible for him to actually carry on because he thought with his allergies he would never be able to get a high up job maybe some work experience coming his way exactly (laughs) I mean he would work hard sort of brand supporter okay great and what one piece of advice would you give to an aspiring couplepreneur so we have a new aspiring couplepreneur that are just about to walk in the room (laughs) so they come in the room and they say gosh what advice would you give us we're just starting out what would you tell them I would tell them keep smiling Yeah, one person needs to stay positive at all times. So when the other one is having a bad day, you do need to make the other one laugh. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Because if you're both down on the same days, it can really create a hostile environment. You know, we talk about being stronger together, and I sense... Yeah, we tend not to be crazy at the same time Uh, main thing for me is keep smiling make sure that you've got a positive mental attitude to home life work life everything otherwise any little thing will get you down and then that has a snowball effect and will affect your work as well and it's so so important with everything that's going on with mental health you know you've you've got to help your own mental health by being in a positive state of mind all the time and do you have a safe place? And by that I mean a place that you might go to spiritually or physically. You might go separately or together where you have time to refresh, think, breathe, recover. I do, 100%. It's my Nintendo Switch that Julianne bought me for Christmas. 
Okay. I can sit there and play that and that's it, zoned out, boom. Okay. So it's great. Uh, it means that I can completely switch off and not have to think about what I was doing at work and then, yeah, recharge my batteries playing a bit of FIFA. And for you, Julianne? I don't really have it, to be honest. I think I have it when I do Zumba. But then lately I've found that actually I'm thinking about so many things when I'm doing Zumba because now I know the steps so well. Okay. Whereas before... <laughs> I used to concentrate on the steps. You constantly need to be in a new Zumba class. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Challenge with Maybe. new Zumba steps. Absolutely. In terms of where I feel probably happiest and safest is being a child again. It might sound really silly, but I absolutely love Harry Potter. Like, love it. And we took a trip to Harry Potter World recently, and it was incredible. It was one of the first times I've been able to go round for at least six hours in the day and not pick up the phone to work. It doesn't have to be, okay, I'm going to do a yoga class to feel better. I do agree that doing yoga really will help, but find your own safe place. Try different things because I'm constantly trying new things to find out what my safe place is. And I think it's a constant learning process for everyone out there. After a particularly stressful day, you used to like going to the driving range and just smacking golf balls because it's really good at relieving that stress and tension and just hitting a golf ball. I did, yeah. And then when I was younger, I used to play the piano. So it's, it's really different as you grow up and as you get older, I think different things help. Now that we've got a, a little bit more time than we used to, star weekends are always in it incredible way to unwind relax you get to swim a bit you get to chill out you can get a massage and that really helps to de-stress the body so that we can only do that now we couldn't do that in the first sort of two three years because we just there were no weekends so in those first two or three years for anybody that couplepreneur or not mm-hmm. but particularly couplepreneur so you in those first two or three years we're saying there, there were that there, no. were, there were no weekends well it depends on how you want to run your business I mean, there's different types of business. You can have a, I know people bandy the word around quite a lot, but a lifestyle business. So you could have one where you just want to make enough to live the life that you want to live. Or you have a business like Julianne wanted to set up where you're changing the world. If you're changing the world, no, you don't get weekends. But if you just want to chill out a bit and earn enough money to make yourself happy, then yeah, you get weekends, you get afternoons, you get evenings, everything. Decide what you both want. And it really doesn't matter to anybody else. It's what you two both want and your plans together. I think we're seeing couplepreneur envy. I know some people are saying they have friends that come around for dinner and sort of end up quizzing them and saying, "How how are you doing that? And, you know, we've got some ideas and can we run them by you? And what do you think? And I just wondered if you're seeing that at all. Yes, definitely. People want to do it straight away. They, they see the success and they go, they were lucky. They did it. If they can do it, I can do it. Mm-hmm. But they don't see the, the journey. Mm-hmm. I think that's the bit they miss out. They just see, oh my gosh, they're in Dubai. They're selling that. Oh my gosh, they've just gone to wherever we would go. When we went to Peru to visit the, um, the cacao powder the farmers, and they go, oh my gosh, they took a trip out there just to get their products. We could do that. And it's, yes, you could, but it 
it's a lot of work as well. So I think it's fantastic that more and more people are appreciating couplepreneurs because I think that's needed. I mean, investors do need to step up their game with couplepreneurs because a lot of VCs immediately just put you to the side, but they're slowly coming round. But yeah, I think there is definite couplepreneur envy now. You know that you're doing something right when people were coming to you going, oh, wow, you're in the supermarkets, you're in 10 countries, you're really growing rapidly. Can we do something like that? So it's the tables are slowly turning mm-hmm. and it's interesting to see how a couplepreneur can be ambitious mm. and it doesn't have to stay sort of a mum and pop shop. Well, that, well, again, that's one of the myths, absolutely, Julianne and Matt, that they are mum and pop shops. And as I think you alluded to earlier, Matt, that that's okay if somebody wants to have yeah. a little lifestyle Perfectly brand. Fun. Perfect. But actually what we're seeing is most of the couplepreneurs that we're talking to are all in, stronger together, yeah. completely invested, seeking funding or growing organically as you guys have initially and they are on a mission to build a life brand however big that is globally however large that is in terms of revenues and ebit and profits but they're definitely all in and just on that note what does the future hold in terms of opportunity for yourselves as a couplepreneur in building the creative nature brand more awesome products Coming out, more launching this year. We've got a groundbreaking product. Okay. Building the team. I think that's the next stage for us, really building a strong team. Finding people that want to work with couplepreneurs on that journey as part of the team as well, that don't just see it as another job. They see the vision and want to get involved in it. And there's a lot of brands that have done it um, and done it really well because they've got their employees invested in the brand. As you say, we're building a life brand. And to do that, we need every single person on board to really be involved. We really want to increase export over the next 24 months. We've already secured a contract in the Middle East, which is really, really exciting for us. And potentially Australia in the next sort of six to eight months. So this will be a game-changing part of our business. Okay, excellent. Well, I want to say an enormous thanks to you both for being so open, so honest and sharing so much of your journey over the last seven years. So Julianne and Matt, we want to wish you continued huge success in building the business and bringing in new team members and congratulations on all you're doing. Thank Thank you. you.